Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. It's coming up on Thanksgiving time. It's time to eat turkey. It's time to sit down after turkey. Possibly unbuckle your pants for comfort and watch a good show. That's what it's all about. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Dave Brooks. Gobble, gobble, gobble. I'm Joel Hoover. Good to have you today for this latest episode. Oh, this is going to be fun. Now we've got winter weather starting to settle over the North Country, live from Bemidji, Minnesota, where we do this podcast, depending on where on the globe you are. You can look up where Bemidji is. Two hours from everywhere. And going to be smack dab in the middle of some winter weather coming in. But hey, that's okay. It makes for cozy settle down and catch up on those movies that you didn't get a chance to see because it was too nice outside for a movie. By the way, that's at least two hours from everywhere. Yeah. In some cases, a little bit longer than that. Yeah, roughly two hours from anywhere. Two hours from Canada, two hours from Wisconsin or the Dakotas, two hours from Brainerd. We're like in the middle of that plus sign. That's right. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. That is our local theater here, and we love having them as a sponsor for the podcast. They are on Highway 2, just down from the Bemidji Airport, and they've got $5 movie nights on Tuesdays, so keep that in mind. If you're still a little bit wary about going to the theater at this time, you can keep on supporting them by going and getting concessions there. That goes a long way toward helping the theater out. You can grab your concessions and then head on out, um, and that, that money that goes toward those concessions sessions goes directly to the theater which is a big boost for them during this time so although i've been dave i've been to a couple of movies over there and it's been impressive the the number of people getting back to the theater it's been it's been a nice boost to see that being the case at the theater although again for some people still not quite there yet it is a good chance to still be able to help them out and support them by getting your concessions for your home viewing. Yeah, a lot of people during the height of the pandemic, oh, theaters are done, man, they're done. And you, no, there's so many in, you know, great signs coming of people that, A, can't wait to get back, or B, are running back to go see Bond, or in some cases, The Eternals, although not as much. I guess the reviews for this one aren't exactly stellar. They're not bad, but it might be the new low bar for the MCU, but that's kind of a high low bar. Correct. So I guess it, the, the, I haven't seen it, but the talk is good but not great. Maybe their first drop ball. Or we've talked about the possibility, not that I'm eagerly anticipating it, but no bubble lasts forever. Could this be the start of the popping of that superhero bubble? Maybe. Maybe. We'll Hope see. it doesn't burst before the Batman comes out. That one I do want to see. Well, is it a superhero bubble or is it a Marvel bubble? I think you can you can put the Marvel bubble in a separate category because they have had so many movies that they have put out and so much content that they've put out. So I, I would almost be willing to put the Marvel bubble in its own category at this point. Yeah, you probably could, but to mom and dad that don't realize that things like uh, – Kick-Ass and Deadpool are hard R movies, but they bring their kids because it's a superhero movie. To them, anyone wearing a mask, possibly even a Jason Hockey mask, is a superhero movie. He's just a bad superhero. 
I never really thought guy. about it like that before. <laughs> He's I'll like have to Thanos. Give that some more the population at this camp is too darn high. We got to drop the we got to drop the enrollment numbers here. Slash slash slash. <laughs> slash so, the counselor budget. Speed of the Eternals, um, it had a pretty good opening weekend in terms of box office strength. I think went over $70 million here domestically. So did solid, like you said. Reviews, tepid. Uh, pretty tepid on the Eternals and how that's been, been coming along. Following up pr- some pretty strong uh, movie tentpoles that had come in October, of course, with No Time to Die. And then also Dune, which came out in October as well, too. Very solid reviews. I think box office numbers were okay for Dune, I think was what it was looking like, but did well enough that they are planning for a sequel and they are going to go that direction. That was just announced, uh, I believe, the other week that it was going to be getting a sequel attached to it as well. So that's been sort of the latest with where things stand right now. Okay. I'm hearing a lot of, kind of like uh, Christopher Nolan and Bane, a lot of audio issues with Dune. I haven't seen it, so I can't can't comment, but that's what I've heard. So I heard very interesting choices, like a lot of bagpipes involved in the soundtrack, which is unusual. But hey, cool. I hope whatever you go see, you like it. And that's kind of where we're going to go today. Some ideas when you sit back as Thanksgiving approaches and you wind up eventually coming up with that four-day weekend. You've watched enough football, you've seen enough of these Thanksgiving Day Parade, you've watched your grandparents fall asleep on the chair enough times, you want to sit back and watch a movie. We've got a couple of uh, little gems we're going to suggest, and then each of us has come up with our own, call it Thanksgiving turkey, one to stay away from at all costs. That's right. Yeah, and these gems, these ideas, maybe for some of them, they're not necessarily deep cuts. They they may be a little bit more known, but maybe it's been a little while since you've watched them. And that's where some of the fun of this is, I think, is being refreshed about, oh, yeah, you know what? That is pretty good to go back to. Maybe it's gotten lost in the shuffle in one fashion or another. And this time, this break here, will be a good opportunity to get to watch a little bit and to, to take that in. One thing we didn't really necessarily do, we're not necessarily trying to find movies that are streaming. We're just talking about the titles. You can find them from somebody that's got it on DVD, which probably include me. Uh, some of them are streaming. Some of them may not be. So we're just suggesting titles. It's going to be up to you to find them. If yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I'd like to find and see that movie. Dig it up. I know IMDb is a pretty good spot. If you can look it up, it'll tell you where you can see it. It's on Cinemax this weekend. It's on uh, Hulu this weekend. Whatever the case. So good luck with it from there. And then, of course, the turkeys we bring up stay away from at all costs. At all costs. (laughs) That's right. Do not approach the turkey. All right, Dave, kick us off. What do you have? I'm going to go back to one that I remember for the first time I ever saw it was Thanksgiving weekend. I think it had just come out on video cassette back in the day. If we put it in the VCR, kids, your parents tell you all about the magic of those giant black cassette tapes. You could throw in at an intruder and knock them out. Coming to America, Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Arsenio Hall and a, and a great cast. It is a nothing fabulous. says Thanksgiving like coming to America. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's it's rough. It looks like it's set somewhere around Thanksgiving ish. It's not Christmas time, but it's you know it's in Queens, New York. It's winter time on the ground, but it doesn't look like Christmas time. It's a great movie. It's you know uh, you've got Eddie Murphy playing about fifteen roles in the movie, but the main role is an African prince from this fictitious com- uh, country. 
and his marriage is, is arranged. And he doesn't want an arranged marriage. He wants to find love, not arrangement. So he and his you know manservant, they fly to America to Queens, That's New Arsenio York. Hall, by the way. Yes, yeah. who also plays like five roles in the movie. Yes. And so they're going to find his bride. It is fun. It's a fish-out-of-water comedy. It's directed by John Landis. It is just a hoot. And there's all, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, one of his first ever movie roles. He's just got a walk on, but it was one of his first. It is a fabulous movie. You're going to have all kinds of quotes. It's rated R, not one for the kids to watch, although it is pretty darn funny. Uh, it's, it's a great movie and it's one that I highly recommend. And for the reason, just because I watched it for the first time around Thanksgiving, I think that's why it's kind of imprinted on my brain, but it kind of looks like Thanksgiving-esque kind of there's snow on the ground and not, in, not in the African country, but, uh, could be a great show in New York city. Yes. There's snow on the ground when, when he gets there. Yeah. James Earl Jones is in it as well. He's the king of this fictitious country as well. And then he he ends up trying to search for his son and follows him to New York City then eventually uh, and gets to New York City. But yeah, it's fun watching Eddie Murphy trying to to get settled into his new surroundings and, and trying to complete his quest while he's there but of course there's there's this like you said this fish out of water element that continues to permeate throughout the movie for those you know in this day and age eddie murphy well who's eddie murphy i haven't seen anything good with eddie murphy yeah i know no one really has for a while this is one of those movies that shows off the best of eddie murphy and what a range his well-spoken well-mannered you know prince akim but all these other roles including this vile foul-mouthed barber And in the same scene, interacting with one another, it's funny to see the range and the talent that this guy really has when he's on top and he's on his game and he's got a good script and Nutty Professor would be another one like that. I miss that version of him. So if you really want to go back into a good era with that, that's exactly what you want to go. Coming to America 1988, I think it was, Paramount Pictures. Yeah, that sounds right. Great movie. Highly recommend it. <laughs> I find it funny that you associate it with Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with, it's not like Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, which really is a Thanksgiving movie trying to get home. This is trying to find your bride. But for whatever reason, to me, it just, it feels like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like the Godfather movies. I like watching those around Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, I don't know what it is about about the Godfather and why it it works at this time. Maybe it's because you've got time to watch a marathon or a couple of movies that are are longer like that, but it just well, it's about family kind of works. It's that sepia and fam- tone. Yeah, it makes family. You look so rich. Yeah. Um, boy, I, I didn't really think about it like that, but it <laughs> it kind of it kind of does suit. I I think a good emotional western kind of movie is suitable mm. at this at this time of year as well. Something something with a large canvas to it, something that that really will will cut to the heart a little bit in some ways that has, you know, big space, you know, maybe maybe hits home emotionally as well. Some westerns are able to do that, some are are not so much along those lines. They're they're more so for the fun and adventuresome side, which I I've got some suggestions along those lines if you want that, but um, I just recently watched Unforgiven for the oh, first time. For the first time, really? I got to watch it. Yeah, and I see what all the hype is about now. I see, I see why it is so so revered within the Western genre and beyond. And 
it's because it kind of takes the, the, the Western idea and flips many of the tropes, many of the things that you know about Westerns on their head and and brings something different to the table with it, including the way that the way that the movie ends, you know, the different characterizations, and yet you still get this this sweeping grandeur of of all that comes with a Western and the space that it's in and all of the possibility that comes with it too, which we we talked about long, long ago on this podcast about about Western specifically. But Unforgiven really does flip a lot of of Western tropes on their head creates a lot of gray area as well within the characters and the characters really trying to figure themselves out a lot along the way. And it makes for a pretty compelling drama in the midst of what you think is going to be, you know, maybe just another Western. A lot more than just that. Yeah, depressing. Everything Rocky Balboa said at the end of the fight, everyone can change. This is the opposite of that. You can't change what you are if you're a bad guy despite your best intentions. You will revert as he slowly does to the movie. And finally, there he is drinking. There he is shooting and gunfighting again. And a great cast. Clint Eastwood, it was going to be his last Western and in a lot of ways his last true Western thus far. Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman, even people you wouldn't expect to see in a Western like Richard Harris. Wait, shouldn't he be running the school for wizards? And what a great English actor showing up, English Bob, and a lot of other uh, smaller name cast members. It was that- very brief. I thought he, Richard Harris was going to have a lot more of a role to play than than usual, but he still serves a purpose. He still serves this this narrative and, and this storytelling and thematic purpose that he has within there, even though it is a brief, a brief turn as English Bob in the- there. And that one did win Best Picture, didn't it? 92? Yes, 93? I believe it did. So yeah. it's Best Director for Clint Eastwood, and he starred in it. Uh, it's a heck of a darn one. Didn't Hackman win for it as well? I know he was up for it. I don't know if he won it or not. I have I to look that up. I thought somebody won for acting, and I didn't think it was Eastwood. He didn't win for it. acting. He won for Director and right. obviously Best Picture. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a very, very good movie, and if you're a Western fan... It's good, and not really a slow burn movie. It's kind of embering right on through the whole thing. It's, yeah, it's a darn good show. If you want, if you want something a little bit more, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Something a little bit more conventional, I suppose, as far as a western goes. Although even this one isn't totally conventional, I'd say. Well, take in the sweeping images of the Tetons and enjoy Shane and watch that one. That if you want a different option along those those lines, although that's got its own bit of emotional punch that it packs as well. Um, with watching all that unfolds within Shane through the eyes of of a kid for a lot of it, and and with the way that they go about that. So anyway, two different kinds of westerns, but there's your ideas. Um, Unforgiven though, especially I just recently watched that one and it was very good. I can think of a uh, another great one that's going to kind of buck the trends where we're talking flicks. It's not really a movie, but it's kind of not a movie. It's like a 10-hour movie. It's a miniseries, Band of Brothers. Oh, wow. If you've never seen this. Now, this was an HBO miniseries from like 2001, 2000, somewhere in there. And it's 10 episodes long. Each one is approximately an hour. So if you think about it like a broken up 10-hour movie, it's long. But I'll tell you what, every so often I'll be, it's laundry day at the house or something, and I'm trying to work on something, and the History Channel has got the Band of Brothers on, and it's the end of the first episode. Guess what doesn't get done today? The laundry. It just, it's one of those shows that pulls you in. It is cut from the cloth of Saving Private Ryan, 
Tom Hanks and Spielberg are together behind the scenes producing this thing. It's got a great cast. It's all very historically accurate. I'm assuming, from what I've heard, it's based off uh, a book uh, by the people that were there. It's about Easy Company, the 101st Airborne Division in World War II. Right. They dropped in as paratroopers behind the lines for the D-Day invasion. They were part of Battle of the Bulge. And it's a story about them making their way through their first drop and even some basic training through the end of the war. It is a fabulous show, I guess we have to call it. But and it's it really been, is a movie. It's, and it's a cinematic all the way through. It's been 20 years since yeah. it was released as well. They... I know that I've seen a few places that are looking back on the series right now, reminiscing because it's the 20th anniversary of the release of the series. And yeah, you, I believe, were the one who loaned me Band of Brothers okay. and let me watch it for the first time. And yeah, it was it was everything I had, I had heard about it. I mean, it's just it's just that good and that in depth and rich in terms of telling story as well as talking about these individuals and and really when you have a mini series like that you can really unpack things on an individual front in a way that a movie like Saving Private Ryan which as good as it is doesn't get a chance to do because it is it's about one story and in the confines of a certain part in the war Band of Brothers you're taken throughout the the European theater from 1944 through 45 with Easy Company and there's there's a lot that they are allowed to be able to unpack as time progresses for these individuals. Well, and Saving Private Ryan is a standard length, you know, it's kind of longer, but like two and a half hour movie, something like that. This is a 10 hour movie, if you really think of it like that. But the nice thing about it being a miniseries is each episode's an hour. You can watch two, maybe three, before it's time to get up and let's go throw the football in the backyard or something. And then maybe get back, hey, you want to watch more? I do. Let's sit down and watch it. It's a great one. It's going to bring generations together. And I hate to say it, not that there's a, as many World War II veterans around as there used to be, but you could sit down with your grandpa and watch the show, and he might have, if he was in the European theater, might have had some kind of connective tissue to some of these events. Uh, it's really something. And they tried to do it again a few years later with another miniseries called The Pacific. It's not bad, but it's just not the same. You right. know, You really feel with this show like you're with this group. And the Pacific kind of jumps around a little more, and it's just it's not as inclusive. This one, you feel like you're in the foxhole with them. And from what I've heard, there's talk about or starting to move some wheels forward about a third version of Call It This. You know, not that the Pacific is a sequel, but it's kind of a companion. So a third companion to go along with this World War II epic. So stay tuned. It's just what I'm hearing. Where would it focus? I don't know. I'd heard one that it might be more of an aerial thing. But, I mean, I'm just hearing whispers in the in the wind right now. It's not like I've got solid intel. I just heard something whispering and okay. just bringing it up. So keep your ears open. Uh, Tom Hanks apparently is moving forward with starting something again in this, in this vein. Clearly doing Saving Private Ryan with Spielberg touched him, and he got very involved in this, and they got involved with the D-Day celebration remembrances. Then they got involved in Band of Brothers and the Pacific. This is the first one that they did, and boy, did they do it right. So if, it's a long one. It's a bit of a commitment, but I'll tell you, 10 hours never blew by so fast. Well, you got me intrigued. Yeah, now that there's the possibility of maybe another one. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out and an ear to the ground for that one, too. Since you brought up a, a World War II-related story, um, I can't necessarily say movie in this case, I'll bring up a movie that that's an older one, 
But it's available for streaming right now on Netflix. And maybe if you've been perusing around Netflix, maybe you've come across this movie. I'm sure there are some who have heard of it, but maybe have never watched it before. The Guns of Navarone oh, is yeah. on Netflix right now. And that's that's a very entertaining one. It's it's about um, this high stakes mission of the among these saboteurs as they're trying to infiltrate this Greek island that's held by the Nazis, and they are trying to destroy these long range guns that are there. And it's it's all within this time window. They've got to be able to accomplish it by a certain time, and they run into various obstacles as they're trying to accomplish it. Stellar cast that they have for it: David Niven. Gregory Peck, Anthony Quinn, Anthony Quayle, Stanley Baker, just to name a few who are are a part of this team and looking to accomplish this. And it's a bit of a slow build off the start of it, but it's it's pretty pretty cool. Pressure you, cooker. Yeah, it is a pressure cooker. And if you like a if you like a thriller, if you like a World War II thriller, and if you like a, a story that's a little bit out of the way and a little different. That's that's what this one is because it's it's a different story elsewhere within a very well-known event aka World War 2 and you get a different story that comes out of it here with this mission that they are trying to accomplish. So, great cast if you like dabbling into classics a little bit, definitely recommend Guns of Navarone and I I now especially recommend it because it is available on a streaming fl- platform on Netflix in this case, and I I love when some of the classics end up on Netflix movies from back in like the 60s, the 50s, and yeah, definitely recommend checking that one out if you've not gotten to see it before. That one, try me what, what year that was. The 1970 somewhere around 63. 60. Oh, much earlier than I thought. Okay, that was that's older than I thought. Oh, yeah. actually, 61, going back even further, even yeah. further back. Yeah, so it's si- been a while. 61. Yeah, a lot of. A lot of those guys were were really in in the height of their careers and and doing some big time stuff at that point in their careers. So it was a it was a very uh, va- it was a very lush cast. I, I I guess is the best way to put it. A very um, a very star studded cast that was put together for this and a lot of who's who when it came to action movies at yeah. the time getting put together. They did kind of a sequel to it, sort of forced. Five, I think, from Navarone, whatever it was. Great cast. Harrison Ford, one of his earlier roles. Robert Shaw, not that good. So remember, it's not Force Five from Navarone. The guns of Navarone. That's the good one that you want to check out. I didn't even realize there was a sequel. Kind of, sort of, yeah. kind of sequel. It's it's a great cast, great acting, bland plot. Ah, there it is. Force 10 from Navarone. Force 10, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, any of these, these saboteur slash undercover kind of movies like where eagles where eagles dare is another one that comes to mind it it reminds me a little bit in that vein that was richard burton and clint eastwood who had teamed up for that one that was later in the 60s that that movie came along but this one this one sort of set that tone a little bit and again if you're looking for a taste of adventure this one definitely applies I'm just going to throw one real quick out. We did a recommendation show not that long ago, and I was flipping around on HBO Max and found this particular movie is streaming on HBO Max, and it's one that's one of my all-time favorite movies, Sneakers. We talked about it a little while ago. I'm just going to throw it out there real quick because it is on HBO Max, and it's not the kind of movie when you flip around, hey, Sneakers is on. It's not like Ocean's Eleven that shows up every couple months. (laughs) So if you catch it, awesome, and you have an opportunity now. So if you have HBO Max, you'll find it. Great movie. We've already talked about it a couple episodes back, so I won't go down that rabbit hole again, but I will recommend it, and it is on HBO Max. But one that I will talk about a little bit, we've talked about 
Uh, Stanley Kubrick, we've talked about some of the... I'm not a big Kubrick fan. I'm not. Some movies that he's done, I, you certainly see the redeeming value. I get it. But it's just the stylistic approach and that there's not... I like a movie that's a story. And so one of the movies that's class, that's all-time classic when you go to the sci-fi realm is 2001. It's one of his all-time greats. But it doesn't really tell a story. I mean, it kind of does. It proposes a story, but it doesn't tell you anything. Well, you have to figure out what was this? What does this mean? It's up to you. And I don't necessarily, there's nothing that's nothing against that, but that's more artistic rather than a narrative, a story that goes from point A to point B to point C. Well, these were all uh, related to books written by Arthur C. Clarke, and he did a sequel called 2010, and they made a movie of it based off the book that is very much a narrative story directed not by, in fact, Kubrick had nothing to do with the sequel, but directed by an Australian guy, Peter Hyam's great cast, Roy Scheider, Helen Mirren, John Lithgow's in it, and it's a very straightforward story about the aftermath of what went wrong in 2001, so another mission has to be sent. Now, the movie was made in 1984. Um, the, 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 some of the subject matter is dated because the Soviet Union is still around and there's a Cold War and we're on the brink of World War III while all this stuff up in space is happening. So it's kind of dated now, but it's well done. Another part of what was so spectacular with 2001 is that the soundtrack was classical music. Beautiful. This is much more mid-80s synthesizer sound, but it's brooding and it's dark and it's mysterious and you don't really know... It's a fabulous story. It's very well done. I think some of it doesn't hold up. Some of it does, uh, mainly just because that movie is, you know, 40 years old now and sci-fi is what it is now. But it's a fabulous movie. And if you're a fan of the first movie because of its artisticness and its, uh, its the questions that it poses, this will do somewhat of a point, but it's not so open-ended for you to make up your own interpretations. It's pretty much straightforward, a story to be told. And if that's going to take you out of the first one, then you know, be let the buyer beware. But it's a fabulous story. I don't know anybody that has gone and seen it and just outright rejected it. You could prefer. I like the first one better. That's the case with most sequels. But this is a very worthy follow-up. And if you were left kind of puzzled and confused, this will answer those questions. And it's a darn good story. Great cast. Well done. And for what it was at the time, spy, uh, special effects still largely hold up today. The soundtrack not so much. But it's a fabulous movie. 2010, the year we make contact. You have become like a PR person for 2010 in the present day because you've you have made that argument on a couple of occasions of now 2001 is really not it. my cup of tea. And you appeal to people who probably feel the same way, which would be understandable because 20 uh, 2001 is a very a very different kind of movie. But that's allowed you to then go, hey, listen. If 2001 didn't didn't hit you the right way like it has for some people, consider 2010 and that may change your mind a little bit. That may redeem this whole concept a little bit for you. You know, in a lot of ways, Alien and Aliens, one's a sequel to the other, and they're very similar in some ways and very different in a lot of other ways. And this the same applies here. 2001 is almost an art film. And there's a little story kind of thrown in really loosely. But it's up to your interpretation, really, to fill in the gaps and how the story works and develops. 2010 is not as much an art story. It's beautifully shot, but not like Kubrick did. You know, you're not going to be pulling it out. 
But it's a straightforward story. There's things that you can, I wonder what that meant. Oh, I wonder what, there's some of that. But the movie is not necessarily set up to be a choose-your-own-adventure style like the first one was. This is going to lead you from point A to point B to point Z, and you're going to enjoy the ride with maybe some questions on the side. But it doesn't leave you with all the questions. And arguably, that's the beauty of 2001, because there is no right or wrong answer. Did you Do you find it entertaining? Yes, I do. But then you got to devolve into this and into that, and I just want to be on a story. And you want a story, but yeah. I don't. But I also don't like a lot of Kubrickisms, and we'll just leave it at that for right now. And that movie is full of those. Yeah. And so it's it's between 2001 and The Shining. Those are the only two movies that Kubrick ever did that I like even a little bit. And all the rest of them, nope, I'm out. I don't care how classic they are. Nope, I'm out. So it's just uh, it's just a totally different thing. And so 2010 is more, for me, a straightforward movie. It's beautiful. It does bring up questions. It's pure science fiction. Um, to me, it was more entertaining, and I get more out of it than I do the first one. But that's to each their own. And it's one that, because it's not the classic, you forget about it. 2001, well, that was a great standalone movie. No, there's a sequel. And actually, in the book world, there's two more books that come after that, and I've read all of them. Right. Um, it's good. It's a fun overall story, and this is a good, somewhat forgotten sequel that is pretty darn good, well worth checking out. All right, so I have remarked about how a, a few times in the past here on this podcast about one of my favorite movies that I've discovered this year. I, I sometimes will discover movies watching them on TCM, and I've I've talked about um, my favorite year and oh, yeah. and how that's become like my favorite movie that I've discovered this year. Um, I'm not going to talk about my favorite year this time because I've talked about it enough times in the past here on, on this podcast, and although I still highly recommend it. It's still a great watch. I'm going to mention another movie that I've watched in this past year that I just kind of recorded, looked kind of interesting. It's in a genre that I like. It's in a bit of a spy genre, spy slash theft in this case, which sometimes sometimes has, has some pretty good movies that come from it. No, I'm not talking about the Thomas Crown Affair again. <laughs> um, and by the way, that's the older Thomas Crown Affair. I'm going to talk about The Thief Who Came to Dinner from Ooh. 1973. Have you seen that one, Dave? I saw like the last half of it. I missed the beginning of it. Okay. Ryan O'Neill was coming off the success of Love Story, which had come a few years ago in 1970. Um, he teams up with Jacqueline Bissett and Warren Oates in this movie. It's his, it's his dynamic with Warren Oates, who is the investigator who is trying to, to solve these thefts, that's really at the center of the movie. And O'Neill is a computer programmer who just decides one day, I need a life change. I need to, to mix up my life. So what does he do? And I don't recommend this. He decides he's going to become a thief. So that's the direction he goes. He, sure, why not? he starts to infiltrate his way into socialites of his area and and just becomes a thief. And then along the way, he meets this this woman who becomes his accomplice as well, and that's Jacqueline Bissett's role. So it then becomes a cat and mouse game from there, um, along with this investigator who is trying to to bring in the person who is doing all of this. And that is what sort of sets the tone for where the movie goes and this interesting dynamic that takes place. It is it is not a groundbreaking movie. It, it's not it, it's not an especially great movie. It's just if you're looking for entertainment. 
It's entertaining. If you like an older movie, something that's got a little bit of a different feel to it, you're going to get that with this one since it's from 1973. And it was just entertaining. It was it was a good a good watch just to be be able to kick back and just kind of relax and not think too hard about a movie. That's what this one provided, and it's it, it's good entertainment, and I I would recommend it then for that reason. And a pretty good cast, you know. It's one of those that's maybe not such a plot driven movie as much as a charismatic character driven movie in some yes. ways. In that they're both all of them, even Warren Oates, who a lot of people remember as the drill sergeant from Stripes, maybe the better best known role. Is they're very very charismatic actors and actresses. They're going to play very well off of one another. Well worth ch- That's a good movie. I've, the second half that I saw was pretty good. I'm sure first part was just as good. Yeah, it's light. It's it's fun. You know, there is a little bit of intrigue about it as, as it plays out. There is some drama to it, but it's just it's just an entertaining watch. Again, it, it's not going to be like in my top 100 list, but at the same time, it's like you know what? I left that going. That was a pretty good movie. I was glad I gave it a shot. And now you can give it a shot, too. And this the, this gap of time here is is a good one to be able to watch one like this. So if we're talking about movies that you might want to check out around Thanksgiving time, this is one that is very much a Thanksgiving movie for me. I might watch it, not every year, but more often than not. And it is set during Thanksgiving. And no, it does not star John Candy or Steve Martin. <laughs> Scent of a Woman. Al Pacino, and it's set during Thanksgiving, and this is the one where Al Pacino finally won the Oscar for. He didn't win it for Dog's Day. Uh, 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 I'm going to say Hard Day's Night, and that's a Beatles song. Uh, he didn't win it for The Godfather, but he finally won it for Scent of a Woman. And this is about a young student played by, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I could see his name and I can't say it, uh, Chris O'Donnell. There we go. Thank you. Had a, had, a, had a brain fart there. He goes to an elite prep school and he takes a Thanksgiving weekend job to essentially babysit a blind, retired military veteran played by Al Pacino, who is bombastic. To talk about scenery chewing is over the top. You think you've seen Pacino go big? You're going to see him really go big in this part here. Um, and so, unbeknownst to Chris O'Donnell, this guy has got a plan that he's going to put in motion. We're not staying at the house for the weekend now that his family has gone out of town. He's got an airport waiting for him. He's going to get a car going. He's going to get on an airplane flying to New York City. A tour of the battlefield, he calls it. But there's a whole lot more going on. It's a, it's a great movie. And, of course, the final scene, there's sort of a showdown at the prep school that uh, this, you know, Combustion of a adversarial blind force of nature stands behind Chris O'Donnell's character and supports him in a great way that his parents aren't able to do. It's a great movie, great performance, set during Thanksgiving, great cast, and you're going to see a couple of that would become more well known down the road show up in smaller roles throughout the movie. But a great movie, and it's a tour de force by Al Pacino, who won the Oscar Best Actor for the role. It's a little over the top, but so is his character. So it kind of <laughs> works. And it's Al Pacino, so it kind of works. This is not subtlety, but it's a great movie. And it's a great Thanksgiving movie, too. I highly recommend it. If you're looking for for movies of the Ooh. time, yeah, this this time of year, whether it's fall, Thanksgiving, there are two that come to mind for me. They're, they're two, from two very different times, two very different genres, a little bit more recent, if you still have that that taste of football season and you want to hang on to that, re- remember the Titans, I think, is is the route to go if you're looking for something that's going to be suitable for this time of year. 
I still that movie still really packs a great emotional punch. I mean the 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 themes that are in it of people coming together despite racial divides. It it continues to hold up so strongly and it it and again it's a great sports movie. You you could put it right up there among the best sports movies of all time. I mean it just it just hits so well and it and the music the music is just staggering. It's so good in that movie and Definitely is one that I would recommend if you're looking for some fall football and a taste of fall football. If you're looking for a movie that that is set in autumn, even if it's not necessarily a fall movie, and plus the movie is it, it is a very different, quirky kind of movie. The Trouble with Harry is oh. very much a, a movie that Hitchcock. If you want to, yeah, if you want to drop yourself in the middle of autumn. Well, you would think, yeah, go to New England. Go to the changing colors there. The the colors in that movie are just gorgeous. I mean, uh, it, like the setting is just breathtaking. And then you have this weird, quirky story, this dark comedy that you have taking place, all surren- all centered around who killed this guy, Harry, and what was their motivation for it. And it's all done in a very weird, tongue-in-cheek, humorous way. And it, it makes you kind of scratch your head and go, what's going on here at times with it? But it works, and it's got a pretty good cast as well, and all within this beautiful small town in New England where it all takes place. And you don't expect comedy from Alfred Hitchcock. This is the guy that directed Psycho and Rear Window, and he's the master of suspense. There is some of that in this movie, yes, but it's, it's straight up. It's a comedy is what it is. It's, right. It's a macabre comedy, but, it, I mean, just going for a walk and there's, oh, there's a dead body. <laughs> Interesting. It's it's a great story. It's a good comedy. It's not what you're expecting when I think you put you have, an Hitchcock movie. I think you have to have a certain sense of humor to really have it resonate with you, or you have to at least be open to, okay, I'm not expecting belly laughs here. It's going to be a different kind of humor. But again, if you're looking for something that's like smack in the middle of fall, you're getting it with this one. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. I would give you that one. We're going to make somebody into a Star Trek fan. Who? We're going to make this happen. And there's so much content between the shows and the streaming shows and the movies. Where do you find the place to get in? Well, That's a good the, question. Where do you get in? Well, let's go big screen. Let's start with that. I've got three different options that I'm going to give you to make you a Star Trek fan. We start with the original cast. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, came out in 1986. Now, this is one you don't really need to know what's going on, what's the background. I mean, you are aware that there's been stuff that's been happening prior to this movie, obviously. You get it. But this is one that a lot of people, in the, when it first came out in theaters, went to see it, didn't know Star Trek anything, couldn't tell the difference between Star Trek or Star Wars, and they went and saw this. And it's great because it's set more or less in contemporary times because they go from the future back to the 20th century, 1986. Which was a big pivot for the series at this point in the filmmaking side of it. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's kind of a fish out of water, and it's as much of a comedy as Star Trek has probably ever gone. Yes. So it's And it's got a green tail to it, save the whales. Basically, some alien entity has arrived in the future realizing it's lost contact with these whale species that were on Earth. So it's going to basically destroy Earth. So Captain Kirk, Admiral Kirk, and his crew go back in time, 
find these whales to bring them forward and try to stave off this crisis in the future. But it's very much a fish-out-of-water comedy. It's uh, it's the end of a trilogy, actually. Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 kind of make their own miniature Genesis trilogy, and this is the last part of it. But it's also, in a lot of ways, a standalone movie. So if you've never seen Star Trek anything, this is a good place to start. And if you like it, there's a lot more to dive into, but it's your first step. Um, there isn't really a great first step, but this is going to be about as good as it gets, and it'll definitely entertain you. Yeah, like you said, it has threads to the two movies that preceded it, but they are not as strong as the threads between Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock, the yeah. second and third movies. I mean, those those are very strongly tied together. This one, more loosely tied to the one that preceded it, Search for Spock, and like you said, it's got that standalone component. And if you're worried like... Oh, the humor is going to take away from the story. No, it it really doesn't. It it does not overwhelm in that way. Like it'll make you laugh, but it also is very good in terms of pacing and narrative. Star Trek has always been really good at a lot of things that aren't so overt, that are more covert. Yes, and this works. It's got a message where you don't expect it. Uh, even I remember my dad brought me to see this in the theaters. It was he never seen Star Trek anything? He didn't know what he was going to go see. He was laughing. He had a good time, and he didn't know any of this stuff. But he had a blast. Uh, we'll bring, kick it up a little further. If you want to stay with a different element of Star Trek, stay with the Next Generation crew. Star Trek First Contact. Again, you don't really need to know uh, the, all that much about how Star Trek works. There's there's background story, yes, and what you need to know is explained to you. Well, so you knowing about the Borg is kind of important. It's important, but even if you don't get it, you're going to be presented how the Borg works because, again, time travel's involved. Going back to the 21st century now, our future, 2063, which is not that far down the road. Uh, and so you've got these humans from that era learning about the Borg for their first time, and you kind of look at it through their eyes in a way. But you don't need to know the huge backstory about stuff, and the parts that you do need to know is refreshed to you, that the captain of the Enterprise, in this case Picard, had formerly been part of the Borg and been assimilated. Well, what does that mean? What's assimilated mean? You're going to figure it out in very short order. I saw that one uh, with a bunch of friends, and some of them came with just to come with the group, and they didn't know anything about the show. They loved it. Everyone had a good time. It's another good jumping-off point because while there is backstory, what you need to know, you will get it, and you'll really enjoy yourself. And I'll give you one last one to make you a Star Trek fan. It is, to this point, the most current Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, and this was the Kelvin universe. This is still Kirk and Spock, but it's the newer, younger uh, Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine, Kirk and Spock. And this is a fun one. In this, opposite order there. Yeah. Of who played who. Yeah, but true. anyway, continue. But this one, I will say it did not do well at the box office, but that's not because it wasn't good. As far as reviews go, it was the best-reviewed Star Trek film in quite a while. And uh, it is out there. I think it's probably on Paramount Plus right now streaming. Which is saying something because the two that preceded it did well in terms of reviews. They did do well, but Into Darkness, which is the one that came out just before this one, a lot of it capitalized on the success of the first one. And sometimes you don't realize until you're there that things are going on in this movie that aren't great. And so you're less likely to want to go see the next one. And they also marketed it poorly. Now, it was directed by Justin Lin, who had kind of got his teeth cut on the Fast and the Furious franchise. So they marketed it almost like Fast and the Furious in space. And it, yes. just, and it isn't. It isn't like that at all. Yes, they find a motorcycle, and there's a motorcycle chase scene. 
but it doesn't matter. You know, it's yeah, they found this old relic. We can bring this back and we could use it to the plot. So they cut all this motorcycle footage into like half the movie trailer, which it only takes like five minutes in the movie. But to look at the trailer, it's just right. poor, it's poorly marketed. Uh, the movie before it wasn't the best movie. And it all hurt this movie. But when you sit down and watch it, yes, there's a history there. Yes, there's a story to it. But it's presented in such a way that you don't need to know stuff that's happened before. It's just a day in the life on the ship. And, oh, all heck breaks loose. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's exciting. And I promise you it's better than people thought it was. So there's three entries right there. Star Trek is a great way to bring families together because it's been around for over 50 years. You're bound to have older members of the family that have been a part of Star Trek since maybe even the very beginning, 1966. And this will bring you together and bring in the next generation, too. And they're fabulous movies, all three of them. I recommend them. And it's a different kind of pacing from Star Wars, which is more of a Western in space. You're getting something different when it comes to Star Trek and the way that that series plays out. Star Trek Beyond definitely brings a lot more Star Wars into the equation. But Star Trek has always been, to use a musical metaphor, Star Wars is rock and roll. Star Trek is classical music. But when J.J. Abrams got involved from the 2009 and Into Darkness and Beyond, he brought some of the electric guitars over from Star Wars into Star Trek. And it's much more mainstream than it has ever been before. Uh, they are working on another movie at some point. We'll see what that's ultimately going to be. But this is the newest Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, and they're all good. Yes, Good jumping are. off points. Indeed. I'm going to go a little bit more of the kids' route here, Ooh. but it is one that is open to everybody, and it's a movie that is going to resonate with with people of all ages, really, because it's clever. And I'm going to make the recommendation for it, even though... A, I just watched it for the first time recently, and B, I watched it on a bus going to a a high school football game, and C, the audio, I I only could catch some of the audio. If this is the Chipmunks movie, I'm going to be disturbed. No, no. Um, I only caught some of the audio, so I don't even have a full grasp on this movie. I just know that that I enjoyed what I saw of it, And I'm starting to see why it was so appreciated when it came out 10 years ago. I'm talking about Rango. Okay. Because I have not seen, I had never seen Rango previously. I had only heard really good things about it. Well, then I I check it out. I see this movie that is, it's off the beaten trail when it comes to animated movies. I mean, Disney has, has cornered the market when it comes to animated movies. Um, DreamWorks has, has really has really actually Disney and Pixar they they've really been the ones who have have cornered the market on on this. This was Paramount and Nickelodeon were who put Rango together and they got a great a great cast of people for the voices led by Johnny Depp who does who does Rango's character. Rango. And it's I, I going back to the western route again. It's it's a good it's a really good Really entertaining movie that works, I think, for a lot of different people. It's one of those one of those animated movies that kind of works that way. And I I do want to watch it, like actually sit down and watch it now, all the way through to to really get a better grasp on it. But what I saw was was pretty entertaining in in the the sitting that I was in and in the uh, position that I was in there on the bus. Those of you listening, realize what you've just heard. Hoove hasn't even seen this movie, but what he saw, and he wants to enjoy it and actually get to see it, but he liked what he saw so much, he's not just 
passing it on. He's recommending it. Well, I'm seeing now. That's a huge something right, to say. I'm seeing now why it was as successful as it was when it came out. It, it did really well at the box office. It it was a critical success too. It ended up winning uh, the Academy Award for for best animated movie, which. Um, it was the first, it, like, as far as non-Disney or Pixar movies, that doesn't happen often. The previous, True. the movie that it had seen that happen most recently before that was Happy Feet, which had come out five years earlier, and then the most recent one after that that came along to do that was Into the Spider-Verse, when that one came out back in, in 2018. So, this doesn't happen all that often that a movie breaks through the Disney-Pixar hold on gold. things. Exactly, and Rango did that. That's you know, and that right there is testament to the fact that Hoove only kind of saw it on a team bus amongst conversations and liked it enough to actually recommend it for Thanksgiving viewing. That's putting your family at risk with a great guarantee from Hoove himself. That is high, high praise. Thanks for the pressure, there, Dave, <laughs> or building the pressure at least. I'm going to go old school. Everything I've brought up has been uh, to some degree of old school, but we're going back to the '50s here. With a great music, or not a musical, but it's a great comedy, World War II, Mr. Roberts. This is a great show. This was actually set up as a stage musical back in the day, and it's shot very much like a stage show. It's about. It's got a great cast, first of all. you got Henry Fonda, young Jack Lemmon, one of the grumpy old men when he was still just a young guy. James Cagney's in it, Betsy Palmer, who you might remember as the bad girl from the first Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> Anyway, totally different version, a way to see her. It's a World War II comedy, yes, set on board a cargo ship where the first officer and the captain don't like each other at all, but the first officer really kind of secretly runs the ship and they run afoul of you know one another all the time. It's a great show. It's very simple. It's very basic, but it's a marvelous show, which is not so much driven on plot, really. You know, he wants to get off the ship. That's pretty much the plot. He wants to be part of the war and not just be in the Navy, but not really part of this World War effort. And that's really what the plot is. It's really character-driven and how things are unfolding with these various characters on the ship. The curmudgeon captain and Jack Lemmon's character, Ensign Pulver, who actually they made a sequel to this movie where Jack Nicholson played the role of Ensign Pulver in that movie. It wasn't a very good movie, but the first one's great. And he thinks he's Mr. Big Stuff, but maybe the reality isn't quite there. But Mr. Roberts, Henry Fonda, encouraging him to be and live up to the hype that he says he is. Great show, great cast, great actors. And even if it's way back in the 50s, my parents put this on for me. I don't want to watch something from the... I loved it. Enough to the point that here I am as an adult recommending it. Uh, If you want to have a family get together, you don't even know this movie. You can't say you hate it and you haven't watched it. This is like um, a great marinated chicken breast to someone that says they don't like chicken and a little kid at the table. Try it. You'll love it. And of course you will. So Mr. Roberts, 1955. It's older and it's marvelous. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Dave recommended that to me, and then I got to watch it after that. Yeah, it's it's good. We're getting to the late stages here of the podcast. So with that in mind, Dave, you mentioned we're going to me- bring up a turkey to recommend the people stay away from. So I'm going to do that alongside a couple of movies that I am recommending for people as well. It's easy in the superhero shuffle that we talked about earlier in this episode to forget the predecessors, to forget some of the superhero movies that were on the the forefront of really making this 
the the big cash cow that it is now or to hyperventilate i think i know where you're going in or in marvel's case it's it's a series of movies that all kind of feel the same a little bit in in various elements they they are kind of all the same and it's totally fair to say that with these movies the these movies were enormous box office successes and they also packed a, a huge punch and were really good movies just the other day for the first time in years i think it's been since i was in high school since i i've seen these movies i watched spider-man and spider-man 2 again toby mcguire here toby mcguire okay, yeah maybe maybe it's because yeah the sam raimi days maybe it's because they're they're getting ready to bring back doc ock in in this upcoming uh spider-man movie far from home or is it no way home which one is it? No way home. No way home. Far Not from home was Doc the previous Ock. one. There's, there's more coming. No back, way home. But we'll oh yeah. Back. Oh yeah. Um, but seeing Doc Ock in the trailer reminded me a little bit of that. That stuck in my mind. That that was several weeks ago. Then I was like, Hey, you know what? I have not seen those movies in a long time. It'd be now would be a great time to get to watch them. I mean, they, they were they were good. They were really good. Really, really good movies. I mean, Spider-Man started it off. It was it was a really good, really good place to begin as far as establishing Peter Parker, MJ, and Harry Osborn. There, there's your main triumvirate in there. You get you get the origin of how he became Spider-Man. Um, you have the tragedy of what happened with Uncle Ben. You see all of that. But at the at the center of the movie, it, it's not even necessarily Spider-Man. It's the the moral compass that's at the center of both movies that makes them so impressive and so mature. Like the, the themes that that work through those movies of responsibility, of making choices, they they are in a maturity that I, I don't think the Marvel movies of the present always hit. Because they because they are they are a little bit lighter the these current Marvel movies which which is fine I mean and it, it works great it's great entertainment but there is a certain maturity about those first two Spider-Man movies and I know they tried with the third one and I'm getting there in a moment um, but it didn't hit the same way but there's a certain maturity about those movies that makes them still hold up extremely well and resonate really well too and. And you get compelling villains with compelling backstories as well. First, you start with you start with Norman Osborn, and and his is a little bit more cut and dry. But then you get to Doctor Octavius, and you have this this guy who who really is a torn soul, who ends up becoming a villain who doesn't want to be a villain. And Alfred Morales does a great job in in that role too. Um, and it it all makes for a really, really good pair of movies, and this was just at the the cusp of the superhero explosion. I mean, it was we had Spider Man there with those those couple of movies that came along, and then you also had the X Men at that time as well. Everything else was just starting to bubble to the surface and take off. I mean, we we were just starting to get back into the Batman movies in a few years after that with with uh, Christopher Nolan's trilogy. But those movies, like watching them again. I was reminded just how much I loved them growing up and how with the the amazing Spider-Man coming along and now we've got 
Uh, we've got the Tom Holland version of, of Spider-Man that's come along too. It's easy to forget. I, sadly, it's easy to forget just how good those movies were. Uh, before you start turning the corner, I know where you're going with the, the Spider-Man 3. When the first Spider-Man came out, what, 2002, something like that, I didn't really know Spider-Man at all. I mean, I know who he was, but I didn't know the name of the guy who was Spider-Man, Peter Parker. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew a lot of my friends were like, oh, we're going. We're, you got to come with. So I go with zero expectations. By the way, is Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Not I wasn't going to correct you. I Alfred like, Molina as Doc Ock. I wasn't going to yeah. correct you. I was like, yeah. Thanks, Dave. Anyway. I don't need to be the grammar police. I'm like, yeah, it's close enough. Anyway, go on. I was blown away by that movie. I was like, wow, that was good. And I'm not sure, but I might even like the second one better. And that's one of the rarities where maybe the sequel is better than the original. Yeah, I would say so. Let the debate reign. And then I I, I won't say anything about the third one. I'll let you go with that. But great movie. If you've never seen it before, they really were good. And the moral of that movie, which you're right in a lot of ways is going to disappear, with great power comes great responsibility. And it hits really well. It hits home, you know. And, and it's not the only theme. There's there's all kinds of good themes that that really permeate through it, and the choices that have to be made. All of it is is excellent. Now that's where we get to the turkey side of this because here comes the car tires screeching. Right. Because I I would I would say if you decide to watch the Spider Man movies and sort of make a weekend out of it with them, if you only watch the first two and skip the third. It's not going to be that big of a deal because, sadly, th- there were production issues that went on with the third as far as people. Uh, I think Sony wanted wanted a little bit more in it in terms of characters and who was in it. Sam Raimi wasn't in favor of that. There was there was all kinds of infighting that led to this overpacked, overstuffed movie that was filled with too many characters, too many villains, too much that they were trying to go on. I mean, the... The issues that that Peter had when it came to his alter ego um, and the black suit and the symbiote, that was kind of like half the movie that he dealt with that. And then it was it was suddenly done at a certain point. And then it, that's where Venom came in. And it, it all led to a narrative that was just overpacked and, and had messy too much that was best. trying to go in. Very messy, which was sad because... There was some real possibility and real potential with it. I mean, with Sandman's character, there's a lot of good stuff that goes on with with Sandman and and themes that that really work through that as well. Plus, you've got Peter versus Harry and and that dynamic that goes on. MJ being kind of torn in the middle. Peter having to deal with fame and celebrity all of a sudden, which he certainly doesn't deal with in the first two movies. They just try, and then you've got Gwen Stacy coming in 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 a, in a different way than Gwen Stacy of the comic books, uh, the way her character gets used, and so you have a movie that ultimately ends up becoming sadly very overstuffed. When I think if there was more creative control allowed to be with those who who put the movie together, I think they could have made a very strong movie, but unfortunately that just wasn't the case, and it brought the the Spider Man series to a halt then led to the ill-fated pair of movies that were rebooted with Andrew Garfield as Spidey, and now Tom Holland and and Spider-Man are in the MCU and and are going that way. And it it kind of leaves behind, at least for now, leaves behind a great pair of movies that started it off. But if you watch the first two and don't watch Spider-Man 3... That's you're not put, you're ahead of the curve. You are. That's not a bad idea to to not go that route and just leave that out because it is... 
and I'm sad to say it because there are things that work within it. Plus, you get a funny meme scene of Peter strutting around New York City as well, which just makes for a good laugh. But you, I, I sadly can't recommend it. It is a bit of a turkey. I've got another turkey that that is more of a turkey that I'll get to here, but um, sadly can't recommend that one. Yeah, when studio interference happens... Frequently, this is the result. And it really, to hear from Sam Raimi what he wanted to do on his own, it sounded like a great movie. Yes. And then, oh, we want to do this. You almost wonder if it was, well, we need more action figures. So we're going to stuff this other plot in that doesn't. Exactly. It, it's a, it was sad. I intentionally did not see it in the box office because I heard the reviews were just Oh, wow. Horrible. You didn't even go. I, I was going to go. And then the reviews were like, oh, my God, that was that bad. Don't oh, see it. Man. So I didn't. And I saw it when it showed up on video or whatever. And sure enough, somebody had rented it. and was like, all right, let's check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not good. All right, Dave. I got a turkey for you. Coming to America. Wait, no, not the one that I started this show with. <laughs> Coming to to America. They did a sequel just this year, as a matter of fact. Yeah, like over 20, almost 30, yeah, 30 years later is when they did it. Yeah. You know, when I heard this was coming, and this was come out uh, initially on Amazon Prime, I think is what it was. You know, I love the first movie, obviously. I started off this show recommending the original. And the fun part about this is everybody is back. Everybody is back, pretty much. And it was a wonderful thing to see these things popping up, but you can even tell in the trailers, it doesn't look promising. I would love to see and revisit these friends. And here's the problem. This is the trap I fell into. I was talking to my brother. What's up, Butch? Listening to the podcast. And he was, uh, you know, you want to see this movie because you love the first movie and you want to revisit those friends because you haven't visited them in 30 years. Like Dumb and Dumber 2. I like Dumb and Dumber 2. Oh, you did? It's not as good. It's it's another story, but that was worthy, I think. I think if you watch it, it didn't get great reviews, but the more you watch it, the more it's going to get loved. See, that's what it was, is I went off the reviews and how it got treated. I haven't even watched it. It's actually worthy. I like it. Um, but okay. this, I don't mean Dumb and Dumber, uh, when Harry met Lloyd, I mean T-O-O, you know, it's, that's another story. That's better than it. Reviews. Another story. This is not going to be that movie where the more you watch it, no, it's really not that bad. No, it is that bad. It was basically, let's do it to do it and let's get everybody back. And everybody was happy to come back because it was such a fun first movie. I mean, there was battles behind the scenes of making the first movie, but this one seemed to be different. And I mean, everybody's back. You so want to revisit these people? Don't. It's like skipping a family reunion where you find out later that everything went sideways and it turned into a big fist fight and people threw up and it was just, it was everything about it was bad. And thank God you missed your flight and didn't make it to that family reunion. That is this movie. It just... There's nothing behind it to make it. You find out that Prince Akeem now has a son that he didn't know he had that's in America, so he has to go back and get his kid. The only good thing about this movie at all is the very first time you see any and all these characters that you liked from the first movie, before they even speak, that's all. Just pause the movie, soak it in, and just turn it off. That's it, because, hey, they got James Earl Jones back. Stop right there. Go to the next character reveal. Hey, he's back in the double role of eh, stop right there. That's it. There's nothing really salvageable about this movie. The jokes just don't work. It just I think I think when you are you know you're really Whoa. hurting for a career and you're you everything you do is just not working out, 
finally you'll go back to the well that people keep asking you to go back to. That's why there's talk about a Beverly Hills Cop 4. That's why there's talk about blah 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 Sure, I'll do Prince Akeem again. I could use the money because it's not rolling in to, you know, like it used to because my movies are horrible, and this only hurts it. So I would love to see a great follow-up to Coming to America. The first one is a hoot, but Coming Number 2 America – Avoid it like the pandemic. It is just not good. And I'm so sorry to say that because oh. I wanted to like this movie. I went in like, yeah, I'm going to watch it, yeah. And even the popcorn tasted bad because of the movie. It was that bad. It's just avoidable. I think it's going to go down as maybe the worst movie of 2021. Oh, man. And I think it's going to make it on the list of some of the worst movies ever. For the Heaven's Razzies. Gate and Ishtar and Howard the Duck, and it's going to be in that list. So it's a Razzie's front runner oh, yeah. in your book. Oh. Boy, oh. Dave, I, I'm picturing this image in my mind of you sitting down to watch it, and you've got that that huge <laughs> smile on your face, that, that big, big smile. Out of the end. Like the one that you had when you came into the theater to watch The Phantom Menace, and then that smile gets frozen, and it's like, oh, no. What is happening? It's more like a beautiful oil painting on the wall of a beautiful whatever, and then the sprinkler system goes off, and all that oil sags and runs and just is wrecked. That was my face watching a horrible train wreck of a movie. Avoid, avoid, avoid. All right, enough metaphors. I've got one more, one more turkey. Close us off. It's in kind of a general sense. You have a lot of time over the course of the long weekend, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and then the weekend there, to be able to watch stuff with the family. Try to steer clear (laughs) of just binge-watching a show. Sit down and watch a movie. Watch a movie. Take in in a movie. I think when it comes to binge-watching today and binge-watching shows... Now, you mentioned Band of Brothers, and it's a miniseries. That's great. Again, I can't recommend Band of Brothers enough as well. But those are ones where you watch an episode and you kind of feel like, okay, maybe it's a good time to take a break afterward as well, which is kind of nice. Binge watching today has has kind of become mindless in a lot of ways. I mean, we've discussed that before. You, You watch one episode, then it rolls into another, then it rolls into another, then it rolls into another, and then they're just kind of bleeding together and you're just kind of watching aimlessly. Don't do that during during this holiday break. Sit down together and, and watch a movie. Take in that movie and then give yourselves a break. You know, get a bite to eat. Get out and about a little bit if the weather is nice outside. Go outside. Enjoy the movie for the movie rather than thinking about what's going to be the next one that I watch. Or, hey, if you do a double feature, that's great. You know, I did a back-to-back nights kind of thing with with Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. One night I watched the first, the next night I watched the next one. Do something like that. Give yourself a little bit of space to to really enjoy the movie that you're watching rather than going, well, how about just watching another one or watching another one and just doing it kind of mindlessly. Take it in and really enjoy it. You know, make it if it's if it's on Black Friday that you're watching it, you know, watch watch a Friday night movie with pizza. Maybe you make it a double feature, but give yourself a little bit of a break in between for ice cream or something like that. Don't just kind of mindlessly go from one into another into another. And on that note, that's my other recommendation is don't just binge watch a show. Don't just binge watch Squid Game or something like that here during this break. Enjoy a movie or a couple of movies if it's a series. And give yourself some space to enjoy each one on its own.
Besides sitting around having leftover turkey while talking about that great movie you saw, hopefully a good movie you saw, is uh, it's a good bonding experience. And if you watch, like, say, Star Trek, for example, we get you interested. There's so much content. You could be doing it till the end of time. I think it takes like a month to watch everything nonstop at a 24-hour-a-day stream when it comes to Star Trek. We just want you to get a first step. And then sit down and talk with soever around the table about this and that. And maybe there's somebody there that's seen everything. I have seen every episode of every show of Star Trek and every movie that there is. Um, so that's awesome. So you can have, I know, kind of you just unzip my nerd fly there, but that's what it is. It's a great opportunity to sit around the table and talk about those kind of things and spend time with the family. And maybe if you must, because maybe in some cases, unfortunately, you don't love when the family comes together. You need to escape the family. Still don't binge watch. you got to spend a little time with the family. But if you need to escape, there's your ejection handle. Even a fellow Star Trek fan was just walking behind you there as you were describing that, and she was pointing at you going, nerd, yep. nerd. Yep. Although Larissa is certainly a, a big Star Trek nerd herself. Yes. So She still has part of my uniform. Does she? <laughs> That's another story. Oh, okay. I loaned her something. I didn't realize that she was borrowing part of one, but that doesn't surprise me that, that you would be helping her out with a Star Trek costume. So, And there she is around the corner. Not surprised. Not surprised. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks <laughs> is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2 just down from the Bemidji Airport. They've got the $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. And, again, if you are still a little iffy about going to the theaters these days, you can go and get concessions, and that'll still support them, and that's a big support to them. It's the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2. Well, Dave, I'd say we have given people a long list of possibilities, and we're just scratching the surface on ideas that maybe they could go to we could to watch. Keep going all day on this topic. Yes, during the uh, the Thanksgiving break, plenty of ideas that people have now. Go check something out. Uh, time together, time to escape uh, gets you a break. And hopefully you'll go see something good. And hopefully some of these are maybe movies you'd never even heard of before. But maybe you'll give them a chance and check them out. And that might open doors to other things. Great movies are out there. you got to know where to look. And don't always fall for the hype on things. Because sometimes it's just overhyped with only frosting and no cake. And remember, the two of us, we only have our own opinions on these things. Give them a try. See what you think. If they don't work for you. That's totally okay. We give you a pretty good range. I mean, maybe somebody yeah, will see tried. a movie from way you know from the '60s or older, and they don't like them just because of that reason. Fine, but don't be so close-minded either. Check out sci-fi, comedy, action—you name it. There's great movies out there, and we could keep going all day long. But this move is where we must come to an end. That's right. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks, and we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.